It was back in November of 2015 that I asked you for the first time to open your Bible to the book of 1 Timothy. And we spent the next 23 weeks opening our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. How many of you have come to Gospel City since 2015? Raise your hand if you weren't around when we went through 1 Timothy. We called that series the Game Plan for Godliness. And so uh, we took some trips through the Gospel of Luke and we took some trips through the book of Isaiah. Uh, We started this year in John chapter 15 and I introduced to you a theme. It was the theme called Abide. Uh, Christ said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, um, you're going to bear much fruit. And so, in continuation with that theme of abide, we are going to study the book of 2 Timothy, because really it has much to do with endurance and persistence and remaining. The cry throughout 1 Timothy is the same theme that John or that Jesus was giving to his disciples, don't run away, don't go anywhere, remain, dwell, continue, stay on the course that you have started already. Now, before we dive into this book, uh, we need to take a little history lesson. How many of you actually enjoyed history in middle school? Raise your hands if you enjoyed history. How many of you slept through history in middle school? Raise your hands. We see the people that cheated on their tests in history and things, things like that. I, I wasn't a fan of history until um, I got older and I had more history, and then I realized I'm part of a much broader history. Let me give you a little history lesson because you'll never be under, able to understand who wrote the book, why he wrote it, and who he wrote it to, until you understand something about the political climate into which this book was written. It was written about the year 64, 65, 66, something like that AD. It was about 35 years or so after Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected. You know, the church was born in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, the Jewish people, Israel, at that time, that land, the promised land, was being occupied by the Roman Empire, which essentially had just taken over the world. And Rome was not threatened by this itty-bitty little group called Christians. Um, The Christians and the church were much more persecuted and bothered by the Jewish religious establishment. It wasn't until there was an emperor who arose that really started causing problems for the church and Christians. I have a picture of this man. Um, His name was Nero. This is not an actual picture of Nero, in case you were wondering. I think this was a statue that somebody put together three or four or five hundred years after he lived. But this is kind of the most famous image we have of this this emperor named, uh, named Nero. Now, let me just say that whatever criticisms you have of the current political establishment in America or the previous political administration in America, no matter what criticisms you might have of any presidential administration, trust me, you would have voted for any American president before you voted for this guy. This guy was universally recognized as absolutely insane. He had two hobbies. One was racing, and the other was theater. So think of a NASCAR driver 
auditioning on Broadway. And he finally got bored with those two hobbies, and so he wanted to be emperor. The only problem was it wasn't a democracy. He couldn't run a, 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 a campaign and have people vote for him because you didn't get a vote. It was a monarchy. And the current monarchy already had an emperor. It was his dad and his mom. But he wanted to be the emperor, so guess what he did? He killed his mom and dad. You just got to move them out of the way. I'll take your place. Thank you very much. And so the first law that he established was he made his horse a senator. And then he made Christianity illegal. Fourteen years into his administration, he committed suicide. Now, after Nero killed his parents and took the throne, he wanted all of the recognition for building the empire. So this is what he did. He set fire to the empire. He burned the city of Rome. Legend tells us that he watched the city of Rome burned while he did what? Do you know this? Do you know this? What did he do? What did he do? He played his fiddle. So apparently he was also into country and western music. And so, I mean, this guy was absolutely insane. Now, he didn't want to take blame for burning down his own city, so he found this little group, this little insignificant group within the empire and created a conspiracy theory that said this group burned down the city, so everybody ought to hate this group. How many of you know what group that was? They were the Christians. And so all of the animosity of the Roman citizens were turned now toward those who identified as Christians. And they eventually worked themselves up the chain until they found their leading spokesman, who at that time was a man named the Apostle Paul. Paul was pretty significant. He wrote half the New Testament. And so he was very prominent. They took Paul. They threw him into a Roman prison. Now, get in your mind of the conditions of this prison. Get out of your mind any perception you might have of a modern-day Western American prison with mattresses and pillows and a cafeteria and television and internet and books. That's not what this was. It was a hole in the ground. And a Roman prison essentially served one purpose. It incarcerated someone until they executed the criminal. Paul found himself in this prison accused and tried of being a criminal against the Roman government. Now, if that was you, if you were Paul and you were unfairly accused and in prison awaiting your execution, how would you spend your time? Kicking rocks? Maybe trying to form some type of insurrection within the prison to overthrow the government? Maybe just cussing Nero and cussing God. That's probably the way most of us would, would spend our time. Not the Apostle Paul. Do you know what he decided to do? He decided to write Bible. And because he did, we today, 2,000 years later, can open our Bibles to 2 Timothy and read what Paul wrote while he was waiting for his death. 
he was likely hours or days away from being beheaded publicly simply because he was faithful to preach the gospel. So next time you feel like you're facing a little marginalization for being a Christian, remember the condition in which many of our ancestors and forefathers and torchbearers were in to get the gospel to us. Now, he's writing to a young man named Timothy. He met Timothy on one of his missionary journeys. He met him in a city called Lystra. And he was a young man. He, he, he didn't have the experience. He had a lot of insecurities, as young men do. If you're a young man or a young woman and you have some insecurities and you're not quite sure what you want to give your life to, you're going to love the book of 2 Timothy. So Paul writes to this young man who was living in a world that had gone absolutely insane. The political leader was dangerously crazy. The world's hatred for the church was increasing daily. There was theological confusion within the church itself, which threatened its continuation. And a new generation of young leaders was desperately needed because the one they had looked to for all of their doctrine was about to be dead. So, if you ever find yourself, hypothetically, if you ever find yourself living in a land where there is a dangerously insane political administration or an increasing hatred for people who call themselves Christians or theological confusion within the walls of so-called churches and need for a new generation of leaders, you might want to pay attention to what God inspired Paul to write to Timothy. Into that situation, Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame, preach the gospel, guard the deposit of the word of God. And today in 2020, the message is the same. There has never been more of a need for a new generation of young leaders to hear the call to fan the flame, guard the gospel, preach the word. So let's read God's inspired word to us today through the Apostle Paul to this young man named Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, to fan 
into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're going to hear three things from the Lord this morning. Based on that passage of Scripture, here's the first thing. Remember your torchbearers. Remember your torchbearers. Paul identifies himself as an apostle. The word apostle is a fancy word. It just simply means someone who is sent, a sent one. Um, For me to send my daughter to the store for some ice cream, I would say, I apostle you. Go get me some ice cream, right? It just means that you're sent. Now, there was an official office. You might say a capital A apostle. There were only a few of those in the first generation of the church. There are no more capital A apostles, but yet we are all sent. We're all encouraging you to live sent with the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing, more of an official office in the church. And then it goes on to say that the apostle Paul um, had the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know that as he opens his letter, he's not consumed with his impending death? He is consumed with the promise of life in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel doesn't just offer life. The gospel promises life if you are in Christ Jesus. That's the union with Christ that we talked about. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And I share this union, this tether, this bond with Christ. And it gives me absolute assurance that I have life on the other side of death. And like Paul, the closer you get to death, the more assurance you need of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And then it says he has these three things that he wants uh, Timothy to remember our promises of the gospel. He He mentions them. Grace, that's to deal with my sin. Mercy, That's to deal with God's judgment. And peace, that's to deal with my formerly hostile relationship with God. God replaces my sin with his grace. God replaces his judgment with with mercy. God replaces the hostility with peace. All things that God does through the gospel. Paul is a torchbearer for Timothy. He's carried the light of the gospel. He's carried the fire of God. And now in the last letter that he will ever write, in the last action, he is trying to pass the baton of the gospel to Timothy to pick up the torch like an Olympic torch bearer would. I can only run so far and now my time is done. It's time for you to carry the torch. He's a torch bearer. He's not the only torch bearer because in verse 3 it says, the apostle Paul is thanking God whom I serve as I did with my ancestors. And so, who are those guys? Um, He's talking about guys like Isaiah in the Old Testament who was a torchbearer. He's talking about that faithful remnant that held true to the covenant relationship they had with God that brought them to this point in the first century where now they're receiving their Messiah and believing in what God promised from their early ancestors. And then notice that it says here in verse 3, Paul served God with a clear conscience. Do you know the value of a clear conscience? You understand that Paul 
is in a prison because he has been falsely accused of a crime? If you have a clear conscience, no one can ever imprison you. Now, you might land in a physical prison, but if you have a clear conscience knowing I am innocent, I didn't do this, you'll never be in a spiritual prison. But if you do not have a clear conscience, then you can stay out of a physical prison, but you will live in a spiritual prison all of your life. What does it take to obtain a clear conscience? Honesty before God, confession of your sin, and a willingness to make restitution with those that you've wronged or harmed by your sin. And Paul says, you know what? I may be in a physical prison. I got no regrets. I got a clear conscience before God. I got a clear conscience before man. I am not in a spiritual prison in my conscience. How about you? Do you have a clear conscience? Paul did. He goes on to say, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. In verse 4, he says, I remember your tears, long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And then he mentions some other torchbearers in Timothy's life. Notice it mentions his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. If you're looking for baby names, those are great baby names right now. I, 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 people have been asking me about, about baby names, and they're, they're, like, they're asking me, like, what was your grandmother's name? And like that's all back in vogue now. Lois and Eunice is going to show up in the nursery one day. I just know that's coming soon, okay? Now, who were Lois and Eunice? Now, in Acts chapter 16, it tells us about the first time that Paul met Timothy. He's on a missionary journey, and he runs into what is described as a disciple named Timothy. So we know Timothy was a believer when Paul met him. And then it says that he was the son of a believer, and yet his father was a Greek. So his mother, Eunice, was a believer in Jesus. And you have to think, this was a generation before, so maybe Lois and his grandmother Eunice actually knew Jesus personally. They may have heard Jesus preach. They may have been converted under the ministry, the preaching of Jesus, because it was a, a generation ahead. Now Timothy's in the second generation, and because his grandmother and his mother have been good torchbearers, Timothy now is ready to accept the baton. But it tells us that his dad was a Greek. His dad was an unbeliever. Maybe that was part of the reason for Timothy's tears, as he longed to see his dad come to faith in Christ. So, Timothy's bio dad wasn't his spiritual father. The Apostle Paul was his spiritual father. That's why he calls him his dear child. So we see all kinds of examples of torchbearers that have been faithful, who, who have endured, they've abided in Christ, and now it is time for Timothy to take the torch and run the race. Listen, do you have a believing mother? How many of you have a believing mother? How many thank God for a mother that faithfully introduced you to Jesus? How about a, a believing grandmother? Some of you, raise your hands, if you had a believing, some of you would be dead right now if your grandmother didn't pray you off the cliff that you were headed toward, right? And there's testimonies in this room of truth. How many of you have some faithful friends that introduced you to Jesus? You can think of them right now. Man, these guys, anybody have a faithful pastor? Somebody raise your hand that shared the gospel with you and, and told you 
you, this is torchbearer. Now listen, if you have anybody in your life, if you have links in the chain of previous generations, if you have a heritage of faith at all, you should pause to thank God. Thank God for Christian parents and Christian friends and faithful pastors and people like Paul who wrote the stuff down and people like Isaiah who 2,700 years ago saw Christ coming as a faithful servant to redeem us of sin. And they've handed this down. Don't ever take for granted the fact that when I say open the Bible, you can. Those are torchbearers that allowed us to do the very thing that we're doing here this morning. And if you had torchbearers, can I appeal to you? Don't be a knucklehead. Take the torch of faith. Embrace the gift that God has given you. Become a disciple and become a torchbearer yourself. You're not going to be here forever. One day you're going to be in the position and you're going to need to hand the torch of the gospel over to the next generation. So, remember your torchbearers. Secondly, rekindle your flame. Look here at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So, Paul uses a sermon illustration. Now, can you just enter into my world? You, you know that every week my job is to faithfully, accurately take what's in God's Word and to try to navigate it around the roadblocks in your mind and to make it come alive for you. So I like sermon illustrations. How many of you like it when I use a sermon illustration? All right, so enter into my world. Can you imagine what went through my mind this week when I read, Fan the Flame? I mean, I was thinking of torches and bonfires and real fire extinguishers up here, but the only thing they would let me use was this, is this right here, all right? So, there's my sermon illustration for this week. Are you impressed? That's it. Now listen, Timothy had one of these. He had a flicker. There, there was some type of flame. But the Apostle Paul said to him, we need something bigger than this. We need this flicker to turn into an inferno. So you fan the flame. Uh, my, 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 my kids, we, uh, they, they really valued, when we bought our house a few years ago, it, it had a fire pit in the backyard. And um, so one of the Best things that happens at our house is when I see there's 25 or 30 teenagers out there on the back porch and, and, the, and they, they've come for the, the, for the bonfire. And, um, you know, usually around Wednesday or Thursday, they'll say, hey, Dad, can we have some friends over to have a bonfire? And really what that means is, hey, Dad, can you start a fire out there in the fire pit? Now, I'm not a great fire starter. How many Bo Boy Scouts in the room? Anybody know how to start a fire with just wood? I have no idea. I need one of these. I need one of these. And I need some fuel. I've just learned to go to the store. They make these like fake logs that have some type of fuel in them. And you just like hold one of these to one of those and pour more wood on it. And eventually you get a fire. But I've also noticed that fires don't just need 
fuel, they need oxygen. How many of you knew that fire needed oxygen, right? And so everybody knows if you've started a fire, eventually you need to start doing this. You, you, you need to start fanning the flame. And the more oxygen gets to the flame, the bigger the flame gets. That's what Paul is saying. Your little flicker needs to turn into a flame. And the flame needs to turn into an infer- inferno. Now, we've already talked about the responsibility of of our, our family, um, but I want you to understand something. Let's, let's be real clear. First of all, um, sharing the flame is a family responsibility. You understand that? You cannot ignite the flame inside your children. If you're a parent and you long for your children to love the Lord, you long your children to be in heaven, you long for your children to repent of sin and place faith in Christ, listen, you can share the flame and you can show the flame, you cannot ignite the flame. Only God can ignite the flame. Igniting the flame is God's responsibility. So I want to be really clear. By God's grace, God supplies the kindling of His Word, the revelation of His Word, penetrates the heart of man. That's kind of like the fire pit. The heart of man's the fire pit. And then the Holy Spirit, by grace, ignites the kindling in the fire pit and it erupts into genuine faith. By the way, if you want to know what a pastor's ministry is like, is this. It's like, I'm just trying to ignite some flames in here, but I can't do that. It's all dependent upon the sovereign grace of God. And we respond to that in repentance and faith. And just like Timothy, he had a sincere faith because his Mother Lois, no, his mother, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois and his spiritual father Paul had all shared the flame. God ignited the flame. But then do you know what Paul told him to do? He told him this, you've got to fan the flame. Fanning the flame is my responsibility. It's not my parents' responsibility. Fanning the flame is my responsibility. It's an obedient, it's a, it, it's obedience to the command of Scripture. Do you understand what we're saying here? There are some things we must do to turn our flame into an inferno. The intensity of my flame is directly proportional to the intensity of my flame. Caleb, go ahead and click the slides a couple times there and get us to the next one. The intensity of my flame is directly proportional to the intensity of my fanning. So what are we talking about? Understand this. Without continual, intentional, sacrificial fanning, my flame will never grow beyond a flicker. Yes, genuine faith, sincere faith. God ignites it. But then he tells me, I've got to fan that flame. Every Christian has been given a measure of grace. Maybe you had wonderful torchbearers. Maybe you've read the Bible. Maybe you've been a part of a wonderful church. But now we're responsible with what we're doing today with all of that fuel. We must intentionally and continually apply ourselves to fanning the flame so that our faith will grow. You will not grow as a Christian in your faith. You will not grow in your knowledge of God. You will not grow in your love for others. You will not grow in your personal holiness without prioritizing 
and intentionally, continually choosing to put yourself in a place of growth. So I got a question for you. How high is your flame? How hot is your flame? How much light and heat is coming off your life for Jesus Christ? Some of you say, well, I got a flicker. I got, I got, I'm, like, that's me right there. That's me. That's good. God wants to turn this into an inferno. This is good, but I got a question. Is there, is there real evidence that there's even a flicker? Is there sincere faith? How, how would I know that? Can people see it? And can people feel the heat when they're around you of the gospel? It's like, well, I, I don't know if I've ever really done that. Well, then today, do you know what you need to do? You need to take the kindling that is the word of God that is being fed into your fire pit right now, and you need to ask God to ignite that thing into sincere faith. And we all start out with just a little flicker. You may say, yeah, that's me, man. I'm new. I want to grow. It's there, but my faith is small. And, and, and maybe, I'm not quite sure I want anybody else to see this. And maybe you're like what Jesus says, like nobody puts it under a bushel. Don't put that thing under a bushel. You need to pull it off so everybody can see it. Maybe you're afraid that that flicker is going to get out of control. It might start burning up stuff you really love, like sinful stuff. That's a refining fire that God does in our life. But the flicker needs to grow into a flame. Do you have a flame? You say, man, it's a growing faith and, and I'm pouring fuel of God's word on it in my life and my heart's getting hotter for Jesus and God's word's refining me and the spirit's convicting me of sin. I'm responding in, in faith and repentance and, and it's igniting higher and hotter flames for Jesus. Man, now we're cooking with fire, right? But listen, don't stop there. Keep fanning the flame until it reaches inferno stage. What's that? that? That's when it's lighting up the world around you. And it's melting cold hearts that are maybe in your family or in your sphere of influence. Everyone at this stage knows and sees the light. And everybody feels the heat when they're in your presence. And it actually makes some people uncomfortable. But nobody can deny that they are in the presence of a passionate, hot-hearted worshiper of Jesus Christ who is not afraid to show the light. Are you here? Where are you at? Where are you at? Ask some friends. They'll let you know. Some of them, like, dude, I don't even know if you got a flicker. Like, man, you, you really need to kind of deal with the whole repentance and faith thing and, and public profession of faith. You, you probably ought to, like, Get baptized, that'd be kind of a first step here to, to like show that you actually got some light and some heat. That's the way it works. And listen, around here, we, we're a church. You know what a church is? We're just, we're just a bunch of spiritual pyromaniacs. We're, we're just trying to light some fires, share some fires. We can't ignite any flames, but we can share it and show it. Um, we just, we're a collection of fire starters around here. And we are sent into a world that is cold and dark and desperately needs light and heat. Fan the flame. And not just what's going on out there, but inside the church. 
We need you to turn into an inferno around here. We need you to serve. And that's actually the next thing he says here. At the end of verse 6, it says, fan into flame. Very specifically, he says, the gift. The gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. You saw a demonstration of that here this morning as we acknowledged the giftedness of a new elder. So what is this gift? It's interesting, I read a stack of commentaries to try to figure out what everybody thinks this gift is that's mentioned here, and everybody's got a different idea. And I don't really disagree with any of them. I think it's a big package of gifts here. Um, We've already talked about the gift of the torchbearers. I mean, the gift of a faithful mom and a praying grandmother and a spiritual father, that's certainly a gift. Uh, Paul mentions three gifts in the first verse, grace, peace, Mercy, man, nobody can deny those are some gifts. Um, and then there's his sincere faith that he mentions. We know that faith is actually a gift from God. So thank you, God, for the faith to believe. That's a, Fan that flame too. The Holy Spirit's a gift. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper. And then the Holy Spirit gives what we commonly refer to as spiritual gifts. There's different lists of those in the Scripture. And then I think, Paul really is zeroing in on a specific gift, a spiritual gift that God gave to Timothy. And we know that because this is 2 Timothy. Paul wrote a previous letter to Timothy. And in chapter 4 of that letter, it says this, devote yourselves, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. That's what you might call the ministry of the Word. So Timothy, I don't, I don't want you just to read Scripture. I don't just want you to occasionally exhort people. And I don't want you just kind of casually teaching. Paul says, I want you to devote yourself to this. Spend your life on that. Because he doesn't want him to neglect what? The gift you have. What was the gift he had? It was the ministry of the Word. Timothy had some type of supernatural ability to publicly read the Bible, exhort people to obey it, and to teach them how to understand it. That's a spiritual gift. And Timothy apparently had that gift. It says, and that gift, which was given you by prophecy, Uh, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So similar language, I believe he's probably talking about the same thing here. Now, some of you say, man, I don't have that gift. I think about reading in public and I I would rather have a root canal. How many of you would say that? I would rather have a root canal than actually do this. That's fine. That's not your gift. Not everybody has the same gift. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us there's all kinds of different gifts and kind of in two different categories. And so notice this scripture, as each has received a gift. Guess who that is? You can just take the word each there, put your name there. As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I want you to notice a couple of things here. 
The gift is not for you. It's not to make you prominent. It's not to make you feel important. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to fulfill yourself in any way. The gift is given so that you can use it to serve other people who need what you have. And ultimately, the gift is to glorify Jesus. If you use gifts to glorify yourself, you're not using it right. And I also want you to notice this. Peter kind of mentions two different broad categories of spiritual gifts. One, who speaks, and one who serves. Timothy apparently had a gift in the first category. Read the Scripture, exhort people to obey it, and teach them how to understand it. But you know what? Not everybody has that gift, and that may be a more visible gift. It is not a more important gift. As a matter of fact, people who speak need people who serve. And the people who serve, they love to serve because they've been taught and exhorted and helped by people who speak. We all need one another. And so if you're not one who speaks, then find a place of service. Some of you love to serve in the backgrounds. And the only reason some of you are able to sit here and listen to someone speak is because right now there are hundreds of people who spent their week serving you so you could hear someone speak. Grateful for those who speak. Grateful for those who serve. This church needs more people who are willing to speak and more people who are willing to serve. And if you speak really good and serve really well, we're going to launch you out of here to go plant a church where people need to hear you speak and need you to serve. It's a great gift. You need to use it. Now, there's one more set of gifts here, and they're mentioned in verse 7. Here's the third thing God's going to say to us this morning. Realize you are in a firefight. There are things and people who are trying to extinguish those flames. Look at verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And yet fear is a real temptation to extinguish the flame of God on the inside of you. Actually, there's two fire extinguishers that Paul mentions in this set of Scripture. One is tears and one is fears. Anybody who's ever stepped into any role of ministry to speak or to serve is tempted to stop when you encounter tears and when you encounter fears. Ministry's hard. And at times, it will bring you to tears. That's how hard it is. Timothy has shed some tears. Paul says, I remember your tears. What, why was he crying? He may have been crying because his dear friend Paul was in a prison. It, he may have been crying because maybe his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois had been taken away and persecuted, possibly even killed. Maybe he's missing their influence on his life. 
Maybe he's facing opposition in the church that he's currently speaking to and pastoring. Maybe it's false teachers that are coming in and trying to unravel everything that he's exhorted them and everything he's taught them to do. It'll bring you to tears. And then fears. Why do you think Paul has to tell him? God has not given you a spirit of fear. Do you know why Paul had to tell him that? Because something had given him a spirit of fear. But it wasn't God. And so what is he afraid of? I'll tell you what he's afraid of. If you're in ministry, fear of man, fear of failure, fear of loss. Tears and fears can extinguish the fire if you don't fan the flame. And so he says, fan the flame and don't get caught up in things that are going to put that fire out. And you know what? Everybody is fanning some kind of flame. The question is not, are you fanning this morning? The question is, what flame are you fanning? If you're not fanning the flame of the gospel, if you're not fanning the flame of faith, if you're not fanning the flame of the church, I guarantee you, you spent your week this week exhausting yourself fanning some kind of flame. Maybe in your career, maybe in your family, maybe in your education, maybe in your image, maybe an achievement. Listen, don't waste your life fanning flames that count for little in eternity. Paul says, fan the flame. What's at stake if I don't fan the flame? Now, listen, fanning the flame is the theme of the entire book. Let me tell you what he said. He says fan the flame because if he doesn't, he knows Timothy's not not going to abide in Christ. If he doesn't fan the flame, I will have little gospel endurance. I'll feel like giving up. I'll, I'll wonder if it's really worth the price I have to pay to follow Jesus. Without fanning the flame, I'll doubt God's goodness in the face of suffering because Timothy's going to suffer. Paul was suffering. If you don't fan the flame, you'll be paralyzed by the fear of man. If you don't fan the flame, you will use youth and inexperience as excuses to sit on the sideline. If you don't fan the flame, you'll be content to let other people do the hard work of ministry and you'll just want to be a consumer for everybody else's work. If you don't fan the flame, you'll get caught up in foolish controversies. Paul's gonna be very specific with Timothy and say, avoid foolish controversies. There are so many people that fan the flame of conspiracy theories and, and, and stuff that enrages. Some of you are fanning the flame of hate and division and anger. I wish I could get everybody at Gospel City Church as passionate about the gospel as you are about some of the political opinions that you have. We could maybe do some stuff around here to light up the world. Because the world is desperately looking for something that transcends politics. If you don't fan the flame, I'll get assimilated into the patterns of this world. Especially in the last days, it's what chapter 3 is all about. He continues in chapter 4 and tells if you don't fan the flame, you're going to drift further and further from the authority of God's word. You won't preach the gospel and you won't believe the Bible. If you don't fan the flame, you'll be ashamed of your weakness. Instead of embracing your weakness as a as a motivator to drive you to the grace of God, which is sufficient to supply every need. Fan the flame into an inferno. There's three fire accelerants here listed very quickly. He says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Here's what he has given you. Spirit of power, spirit of love, spirit of self-control. Every one of them is important. And you can't have two out of the three. You need all three. 
Can you imagine having a spirit of power and love but not having self-control? You will flame out because you don't have the endurance to get up every day. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to face toward the difficulty. I'm going to run into ministry. You got to have self-control. Can you imagine having power and self-control but missing love? That would make you a very self-righteous, self-motivated, proud, religious person, but people will be irritating to you. Can you imagine having love and self-control, but no power? So you just got to love people in your own power, and your self-control has got to be willpower. No, we need spiritual power to count for anything that is eternal and spiritual. I want you to stand up right now. We're out of time. I want to give you three practical ways this week to fan the flame. Here they are. Number one, never stop gathering spiritual firewood. I mean, you got to get get your face in the Bible. You, you, You got to sing songs that remind you of the truths of Scripture. Just keep gathering the right sources of truth around you. Never stop gathering spiritual firewood. And secondly, take the light and heat of your flame to the places that are dark and cold. That may be your family, your neighborhood, maybe some far off places that never heard about Jesus. But we gotta activate the spiritual gift. It's been given you whether you speak or you serve, start using it. Take the light and the heat to the places that are cold and dark. And then finally, stay connected to hot hearted people. After my kids on the patio have their bonfire and it's 10 o'clock at night and I send everybody home, I got a problem. There's still a raging inferno in my backyard. What do I do? I go out there and I just start distance. I make all the logs and coals social distance, right? Like you've got to get away from one another. We need to cool it down. And that's what happens when you fail to value the close connection with hot-hearted believers. Their heat heats you up, your heat heats them up, and together those coals stay hot. But when they're separate and alone, they die out. Fan the flame. Father, would you help us by your grace to fan the flame every day of the gospel. Thank you for igniting the fire. Thank you for your word that provides kindling and fuel. God, would you light us up? Would you heat us up? Would you make us so hot-hearted that the world could not deny that there is light and heat coming from a group of Christians that are committed to you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.